Do do do. So I just started. All right. Hello. Maybe that's it. It's bumping up into the yellow when I talk. Okay, turn it down and see what happens. Oh. I don't want to deal with that. Yeah, right now, probably not the best.
Peace of Christ be with you. Let's take a couple of deep breaths to slow down, to ground yourself in this place, to allow yourself to recognize the presence of the Holy Spirit in, with, and among us right here and right now. Those gathered here and those gathered with us from afar online, let us worship together as one beloved community. Please rise in body or spirit and join me in the call to worship. Welcome, believers, skeptics, and Caesar, seekers. We are all on a journey. Welcome, friend and stranger, family or individual. Here we find more meaningful relationships. Welcome, those passionate about the world. Here together we serve.
You may be seated. Welcome. Welcome to worship here at Westminster. It is good to be together this morning. If you're worshiping with us for the first time, or maybe if you're back after a while, it is so good to be together. I do invite you sitting here in the middle during our offering time, if you would grab that pew pad and sign it, pass it down the row and then pass it back. It's a great way to see who's worshiping near you. Maybe you can greet one another by name after the service. And then I invite you to uh, coffee and tea and snacks and Finley Hall following worship. Again, a wonderful time for conversation. Let's join together now in our community prayer. Let us pray. God, there are many paths to you. Yet sometimes we act as an individual is the only way. Not to measure ourselves against one another, but to embrace the gifts each brings. We do not have all the answers. But we seek to grow spiritually, to find and deepen sustained friendships, and to humbly to better the world. Let us learn to listen where our heart leads, that we might find how each of us can rest in our faith. Our prayers continue in quiet. Amen. Friends, know that God is merciful and slow to anger. Know that God seeks out the lost again and again. Know that in Christ we are forgiven, we are made new. Thanks be to God. Amen. As we continue with our time of prayer, this is the time where we get to share with one another our joys and our concerns so we can be in prayer with one another and with our wider community. I have just a few to share with you today. Uh, first, we uh, heard the news yesterday morning of Bill Shoemaker's death. He had been on hospice for a little while, and we certainly hold his family in our prayers, especially his wife, Barbara. And then uh, many of you may remember Julie Barnes, who was a friend of the congregation. She led a lot of hikes with our Spiritual Life Commission. Her husband, David, has uh, been on a journey with cancer and is now in hospice care. They now live in Maine with their two young girls, and we just hold David and Julie in our prayers as David nears the end of his life. And then thinking more about our, our wider community, certainly our prayers for the synagogue community in Texas who had the hostage situation yesterday. We also remember this weekend, we honor and celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. and certainly hold all the work he did in our prayers as we strive to follow in his footsteps. So what else? What else is on your heart and mind today that we may be in prayer for? Yeah, Bruce. Absolutely, the people of Tonga as they recover from that tsunami. 
Others? Erin Elliott is not here today, but she did ask that we lift up a good friend of hers who has been living with ALS, and her friend is now nearing the end of her life. So prayers for her and for Erin as she supports her. Others? All right. Oh, yeah, Rebecca. Oh, yes. <laughs> Prayers for being able to be here and be out and about following your whole family with COVID. I'm glad you all are, are better now. Amen. Let's take just a few moments of quiet then, and uh, then I will lead us in the Lord's Prayer. So let's be in prayer together. Gracious God, you hear the prayers of your people. And we pray in the name of the one who taught us to pray together, saying, Our
This is our birthday blessing Sunday. So if you have a birthday in January, or if maybe you missed a blessing in a previous month, I invite you to come forward. Are you January too? I can bless people in any location, so that's all good. Happy birthday! So for, for this winter birthday month, I wanted to share with you a poem about rain. It's a poem by Langston Hughes. Let the rain kiss you. Let the rain beat upon your head with silver liquid drops. Let the rain sing you a lullaby. The rain makes still pools on the sidewalk. The rain makes running pools in the gutter. The rain plays a little sleep song on our roof at night. And I love the rain. Now, I don't know if you noticed when we had our rains a few weeks ago, people were so excited. I don't know if I'd ever seen such joy about rain as when it was here a little while ago because it was helping at least a little bit to ease our drought. It was just such a thing of joy. And that reminded me of all the little small ways that we might find those moments of joy in our lives, you know, be it a rainstorm or be it a wide variety of things. So my hope and my prayer for you on your birthday and in the coming year is that you may notice, you may look for those moments of joy, those moments of blessing, because they are going to be there. May that be so for each one of you. Happy birthday. Amen. 
And this is where I was going to ask our children who are worshiping with us to join us. I think we may have a couple back there that are going to come on in. Come on in! We've been making good use of our special room back there, which is great. But I invite you to come join me here at the front. It is good to see all of you. Welcome. So you may, you may have heard me mention during our Joys and Concerns time that uh, we're celebrating Martin Luther King Jr. this weekend. In fact, I believe you all have a day off of school tomorrow, is that right? <laughs> oh shoot, did I just, did I just gonna, I broke the secret, oh no. <laughs> so, I don't know if you know this, but in addition to tomorrow being the day when we honor Martin Luther King Jr., it is also a national day of service. In fact, I think it's the only federal holiday that is also a national day of service in honor of Martin Luther King. So what I wanted to do is I... <laughs> I'm borrowing from Jeff, and I'm trying to be technologically fancy here. And I wanted to show you a little presentation uh, about MLK Day and about why it is important that it's also a day of service. So it's just some pictures that you all won't be able to see, but it's also some text. I'm going to read the text aloud so we can all experience what the text has to say. So, gosh, I hope this works. Life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others today? That's a quote from Martin Luther King Jr. All right, here we go. Oh, I already read that. So we'll wait for that slide to go. Since 1986, the third Monday in January has been an official US holiday honoring Martin Luther King. Part of King's legacy is his call to work together for a better tomorrow. In 1994, the holiday was redesignated as a national day of service. It's now a day on, not a day off, for Americans to give back. Service can be anything, from tutoring to preparing meals to visiting seniors to picking up trash. Volunteering has become one way to reflect on King's life and teachings. There we go. And then that's a statue of him in Washington, D.C., right there. You saw that? Excellent. So, I like two things especially from that. Did you hear this? the quote that said, an OK day is a day on, not a day off. I thought that was really neat. A day off from school, maybe a day off from work, but maybe a day on to think about how we're serving others, how we're caring for others. Yes? I Uh-huh. He's going to his grandparents. Okay, so Whoa, okay, so you're going to your grandparents without mommy and daddy. Wow, that's exciting. So maybe while you're there with your grandparents, <laughs> you can think about 
something you might do to help out your grandparents, something you might do to serve your grandparents. That would be a wonderful way to recognize a National Day of Service, which was my point. The other slide on here that I wanted to point out was how many different ways we might be of service to others. We might be of service to our community. We might be of service to the earth. There are so many different ways to express our care and our love for one another. So I hope, whether it's tomorrow or maybe it's whether it's you know throughout the week, that we will think about that. Not only because it's MLK Day, which is important, but because our faith calls us to do that too. God calls us to be of service to each other and to our world. And maybe this week we can think of one special way we might do that. All right? So let us now head out to Sunday school, all right? Go now in peace. Go now in peace. May the... That is such a fun time of our service, isn't it? They can sometimes preach a better sermon than Pastor Bob. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> we have three short scriptures this morning. First one is 1 Peter 2, 1 through 5. Rid yourselves, therefore, of all malice and all guile, insincerity, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And the second one is Proverbs 17:17. 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and kinsfolk are born to share adversity. And the third one from James, James 2. 14 through 18. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you can say you have faith, but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, oh, go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I, by my works, will show you my faith. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. God. Sometimes a better sermon. <laughs> Maybe always better. How did you wind up here? <laughs> Thank you for the literalists among us. They are walking. Don't go back to your beginnings either. We still have children around. But sitting here on this very Sunday in this place doing this, how did you find yourself here? My guess is if we actually polled you, the answers would be quite varied. For many, it might have been just a pretty linear path. Maybe you were raised as a Christian, maybe even raised as a Presbyterian and stayed in it all the way through. And so it's just natural that you would be at this church. 
Maybe others were part of a, a, a tradition and then drifted away at a certain time in life and then for whatever reason decided to dip your toe back in and come back and have settled in. Maybe some are, are fleeing a situation that wasn't the best fit and you're, you're looking to find something. Maybe you found it or you're still in that looking phase. Maybe some of you were dragged here by a spouse or a, a family member and it really touched you. Or maybe you're still being dragged here by a spouse or a loved one and it has yet to touch you. Maybe you're just part of one of the, I don't want to say just, maybe you're part of one of the groups that's not Sunday morning and that's your primary relationship with this place. My point is there are all kinds of ways to get here. And no one way is necessarily superior or more pure than the others. Though my experience is people carry around a good bit of baggage about whether they're here for the right reasons and if they're good enough and if they really fit in. I went on an interfaith pilgrimage some years ago and I found out later that on the first night, one of the people who went along, who I found to be quite deep, had turned to someone and said, I feel like a bit of a fraud here. What she was saying was, everybody here seems so spiritual. And I, hmm, I don't know. So many people who come to a place like this carry some degree of imposter syndrome with them. But I'm here to tell you, you're all spiritual. Every, every being is a spiritual being. We're all on a journey. We all belong, okay? So you can wipe that slate clean. It doesn't matter how you got here or why you're here or what you get out of being here. The question is, where are you and how will you grow? And where will you go from this place? Today we continue that series exploring our Christian identity statement drafted and adopted by our elders in this past year. The purpose of this exploration is to get a, a clear sense of who we are so that we can design what we do uh, in, in alignment with that sense of identity and communicate more clearly to the community around what we're about, what we stand for, what, we, what we're like, what our values are. We've agreed we could do a better job of those things. So that's why we take the time to do it. And the line we're focusing on today, it's bolded in your bulletin where the statement appears in the back, is we strive, notice that verb, right? We begin in humility, not in hubris. We strive to grow spiritually, to nurture friendships, and to better the world. So let's go through those one at a time. We strive to grow spiritually. Notice there's no judgment on where you are or where you are not spiritually. That's not our job here. Our job is to take where we are and to grow, to expand, to deepen. My son's in elementary school, and his school is always talking about having a growth mindset. And the point is to de-emphasize certain results. Oh, you did well, or you did poorly, and your life falls apart if you did the latter, and you're the best if you did the former. But rather, wherever you are, the, the point is just to grow a little bit, get a little farther down the road, expand just a little bit, stretch just a little bit. 
I'd like to think one of our core values here is that we're all here to grow. We're all here to deepen. We're all here to stretch and expand a little bit. And so it can, be, it can be disorienting when you encounter people in a spiritual community who seem not to be interested in doing that. I mean, imagine going out to Spirit Rock, for example, and taking a class, but being adamant on the way in that you're not going to grow, right? Or going to the College of Marin and saying, well, I'm, but I'm not going to learn because I really like everything I know. Right? Well, it's preposterous. And we shouldn't approach our life here any differently. All of us are here, not to judge where somebody else is, but to move ourselves a little farther along, and as a people, try to move a little farther along. So what does that involve? Well, in this culture, we often assume that it's about accumulation, or learning, or taking in more data, or more knowledge, or more wisdom, all of which are good things to do. But actually, the, f the first step, and a step that has to be repeated again and again in the spiritual path, is purgation. It's, it's getting rid of stuff first. It's emptying out. Because we can be full of all these things that actually stand in the way. It's kind of an, an Eastern way of thinking about it, but it's not exclusive to the Eastern world by any stretch of the imagination. And I'll prove that to you. I picked a scripture passage, you heard them all a moment ago, that lines up with each of these three elements as I see it, and I want to go through them a little bit as we talk about it. And wouldn't you know, this passage from 1 Peter, its word to us is not about what you're going to take in, but what you're going to rid yourself of. Rid yourself of all malice, guile, insecurity, envy, and slander. The first step in the spiritual path is to rid yourself of the things that will impede your growth in the growth of the community. We begin with subtraction, not addition. MLK, who was mentioned earlier today with our children, knew this intuitively. Before they set about doing any demonstrations or any acts of civil disobedience, they would go through a process of spiritual purification because they knew that if they were carrying those things with them, anger or, or unrighteous anger, envy, slander, malice, that they were likely when the hoses came on and the dogs came out to act out of that. So the first step is to spiritually cleanse yourself of that so that you can show up and embody the very thing you're trying to create in the world. It's this emptying. One of you last week reminded me, after the sermon of Lincoln's second inaugural, that remarkable address, it was only about 700 words long, which is stunning for the time, stunning for our time too. A 700 word address that's lived on through history. And if you remember, that last paragraph begins with malice toward none. There's that word again. And charity for all. That Lincoln said, before we get about doing the work of healing, I mean, you talk about a divided nation. Right? Before you can do that work, you must rid yourself of the malice that you probably understandably carry. But see, the healing won't happen, whether you're right or wrong, if you're carrying the malice and the uh, desire to slander and envy and all of that with you. You have to rid yourself of that before you can do the work, the real work emptying. Uh, there was another example of it just last week in the 830 service. Somebody prayed beautifully 
uh, lamenting, I would say, about how they were experiencing the world, which is something I think many of you have felt in this past time. And as they prayed, they said, it was as if there were people who were untethered to their sense of reality, that they were living as if in a different world and how that dissonance was so painful for them. And in the same, and, and they named that as grief, I think. I mean, that's how I heard it. And I think that's a beautiful way to name it. I'm grieving this reality. But in the same prayer, they said, and I honor or recognize that there are some people who must look at me and say the same thing. There's that beautiful opening, right? Rather than taking the detour of, now I'm going to slander these people and annihilate them and carry malice in my heart for them, even though I cannot, at the core of my being, understand them, I will, I will, I will honor where they are and I will rid myself of those things. That's modeling how to take that step in the spiritual path. Empty yourself of those things so that true growth can come. So, we grow spiritually first. Peter, first Peter, I'm sorry, talks about it in terms of, of growth by, by using the, the metaphor of a diet, of what we eat. And he says this, he says, like, I assume it's a he, like in infants, we should long for pure spiritual milk, right? So change your diet away from that which is filling you up with poison and making you poisonous. Cleanse yourself of that and fill yourself with spiritual milk that will uh, avoid those things so that you may grow in to salvation. We don't talk about, well, we don't talk about salvation a lot probably in a church like this, but when we do in the larger church, we don't often talk about it as something you grow into. You are saved or you are not saved. Not so, says First Peter. Salvation, liberation from these old ways of being, that's something you grow into, right? We're spiritually growing. So we grow into that step by step. Grow spiritually. The second is nurture friendships. And the passage I'll mention in a minute is from Proverbs. You heard it earlier. But when we say friendships, you can take it on surface value. Just think of secular friendships, people with whom you share uh, a good time. You may have similar values or ideas. You enjoy being together. That's valuable in this world where we're so lonely. Uh, I, as I said in, in the first service, it, it's supposedly an era of connectedness, but I find so many people morbidly alone, lonely. Now, being alone doesn't necessarily translate into being lonely. You can be alone or solitary and be quite fulfilled. You could also be in a relationship and be quite lonely. I think there's an epidemic of loneliness in our culture. So. We want to be a place that nurtures friendships. We need people to get through this world. And then on a deeper, more spiritual level, what I've called in the past this Celtic notion of soul friends, those who know you on a deep and spiritual level and draw the best out of you and, and hold you accountable to the best version of yourself. We need those people on a deep level to get through this world. We talked a lot about Desmond Tutu last week, and one of you, again, reminded me that one of the things Tutu said was, in this world you need two things, love and relationships. I think how important those relationships. Any of you who have had really deep and mutually supportive relationships, and you've 
been through a difficult time will know how important that is. And those of you who've been through a difficult time and didn't have deep and supportive relationships will know how important that is and how it would have helped. Proverbs speaks to this. Proverbs, in its usual succinctness, says, a friend loves at all times. Doesn't say condones at all times. Doesn't say enables whatever the other person wants, but loves, which is rooted in non-judgment. Loves at all times, and kinsfolk are born to share adversity. To share adversity. We cannot escape adversity. Some will preach that, but eventually it'll catch up to you. This is the central teaching of Buddhism, right? Your life is suffering, you will suffer. So we can't avoid it, but we can share in it with one another. And that's where that friendship comes in, in a deeper way. Fred Craddock, a famed Methodist pastor, writes about leading a retreat at another church, a weekend retreat, Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday. And he showed up on a Friday afternoon at the church to get ready, and there was a funeral letting out when he arrived, and he was awkwardly introduced to the woman who had just lost her husband in the parking lot. And she said to him apologetically, oh, pastor, I won't be there tonight, but I'll be there tomorrow and Sunday. And he said, oh, oh, you, you don't have to. And she said, yes, I do. And he said, oh, no, no, what, what I meant was, I, I know it's hard right now. And she said, I know it's hard. It's always hard, but this is my church. These are the people who are going to make sure my children and I are okay. He was trying to let her off the hook by letting her not come to church. But what she recognizes, those are the relationships that will get her through the very challenges she faced. Don't send me home. I need those people. We grow spiritually. We nurture and deepen our friendships. The, the dirty secret, by the way, is that many people come to church to see their friends. Now what's wrong with that? That we've labeled it dirty. That's what's wrong. And that we've decided that should be a secret. I already know, okay? And I think it's great, right? That mean, isn't part of the point of this to nurture that? Good God. If you, I mean, Sharon has already told you, my sermons aren't going to get you all the way through it, okay? <laughs> but if I have a tough time, Sharon's going to get me through it. Right? Right? So we know that's part of why you're here. It's beautiful, and we should celebrate it. Three, better the world. We talk um, a lot, we've learned a lot in recent years, thankfully, about how trying to do good often does harm. The secular world, they call it toxic charity. Before I ever went into ministry, I got a master's degree in um, philanthropic studies. You study charity and nonprofit work and the third sector, as we liked to call it. And by the end of it, I wondered if we were doing any good at all, because <laughs> you see so many examples of doing harm whether you're undermining kind of local relationships and balances, or you're creating systems of dependence, or you're making all kinds of assumptions about what people need and not giving them what they actually, all kinds of complications. So we've learned a lot. However, having learned all those things, 
in employing hopefully better practices now and deeper relationships, if we don't think we have something to offer to better the world, what are we doing? I mean, what are we doing? Some people will say, well, I, I'm afraid I'm going to make a mistake or make a misstep. Yes, you will. Jesus didn't say, don't help, because you might make a mistake. You might say something wrong. You might do something wrong. No. We try through relationship and, and, and study and knowledge. And then we misstep. We open ourselves to the correction. If we're too fragile for the correction, we have no chance. Right? But we're called to better the world to try to do our peace to better the world. Uh, listen to those words from James again that Sharon read. What good is it if you say you have faith but do not have works? You don't somehow put your faith into practice in the real world. Can faith save you? If you tell someone to keep warm and eat their fill but you don't fulfill their bodily needs, well, what good is that? Faith without works is dead. It's dead. Wow. Now, not everybody will be up to doing the same kind of work, but you can do some piece of work, and together we can do work. And I would say it has to be more than just charity, especially in a weekend where we're honoring Dr. King. Sometimes I think we actually domesticate him by just making it about service. It's got to be more than that. Again, I'm reminded of Desmond Tutu, who we talked about so much last week, who said at one point, uh, eventually we have to stop just pulling people out of the river. And you have to go upstream and find out why people are falling in in the first place. Right? That's the work of justice. Now, I wonder if in this climate, sometimes we take a step back from that because we're so nervous we're on eggshells that once we get into that, that's where the disagreements come, right? Everybody can agree, feed people. But we start tinkering with the other stuff. Then we start to get polarized. And we start to look more like the world does out there. And we don't want to go there because we just come here to feel good. And actually, you should come here to feel good and be affirmed and encouraged. Life's tough. You deserve a place that encourages you. But don't forget. We already did the work of growing spiritually, or we're going to do it time and again. So we've rid ourselves of malice, of envy, of slander. It's okay if we disagree about how to address some problem. It's okay if we get divided about that. Wow. Because we do not hold each other with malice in our hearts. We don't dare to slander one another. That's what makes it different. That's what allows us to do those things that can be otherwise tricky to do, that James calls us to do. So we grow spiritually wherever we are, however we can. We nurture friendships best we can. And we try to better the world best we can. My guess is one of those three appeals more to you than the others. That's your safe zone. Terrific. Delve into it. Lean into it. And maybe if you're ready for a challenge, consider what sidestep you could make. So maybe you're here because you're all about the service and the justice work and you have a passion for the community. Terrific. What would it look like if you deepened your spiritual practice a little bit, your study and your prayer work, so that you might have actually a more expansive understanding of what you're trying to accomplish in your service work? 
and so that you might have a pool, a reservoir to draw upon when that work becomes frustrating, when you run up against obstacles, when you're depleted, you have something to dip into to restore. Maybe you're perfectly at home in your study or taking your prayer walks or doing your devotional work. What would it look for you to take a step out and engage in some relational work, to join a group, to connect with others? Your gift might really bless someone else's life. And likewise, in relationship, you might grow even more. All of these support one another. That's the trick. Maybe you'd come here for your friends and are applauded for it today. But that means you've experienced something blessed about having, about having that in your life. Well, what would it look like if you took that feeling as a sign to say, I want others to have blessings in their life. So I'm gonna use the gratitude for the things I have in mind to, to get involved in tangible things to make other people more likely to have a similar experience. Just where are you? Where would you like to go? What else could you try? It's not hard to remember. Grow spiritually. You know other people on a deep level and you go out into the world to better it. Grow, know, and go. I just do single syllables. It's the best I can do. <laughs> Keep it simple. Amen.
Lord, we ask you to continue guiding us in doing what we heard. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Just three announcements before we go. Those of you who are looking to attend Women Connecting, I think in your bulletin it lists that this will be virtual and in person. And because of the, the recent spike in COVID cases, they've elected to go just virtually on that. So I don't want you to show up to find an empty building. So that's Women Connecting. Uh, there'll be a congregational meeting on the last Sunday of the month. This is our annual meeting. It'll be a time to uh, report back on the budget and stewardship and how that's going. There's some exciting things to report there, actually, uh, as well as electing officers for the next year, elders, deacons, financial review committee, and hopefully even next year's nominating committee, if we're really lucky. Finally, as I mentioned last week, and it's now started to make it into your written announcements online and in the bulletin, we're hoping to do a retreat that begins on Memorial Day, it's a three or four day retreat, at Zephyr Point on South Lake Tahoe. That's uh, a combination of some hiking of various levels, so you don't have to be, they won't all be rigorous, you'll have an option every day. Some hiking, some spiritual practice, some engaging with the land that so often restores many of us in a way that attends to it and what its challenges are, and just being in community, spiritual community together. In order for us to put the money down, that is non-refundable, we want to make sure we have enough interest to take that leap. I'm not looking for firm commitments because I know in this moment it's pretty difficult to commit to anything firmly. But if you feel like if all is well in the world, you'd like to go, let me know. And uh, that way, if we have a critical mass, we'll go ahead and put down a deposit. And if finances are a challenge, we don't have a cost for you yet. If finance, finances are a challenge, we can, we can do some scholarship work on that. So don't let that deter you. So again, uh, those three announcements, as well as everything else in your bulletin, I encourage you to, to pay attention to. For our closing hymn, one thing I'd like to point out, at least sometimes when we sing this, there are all these wonderful notes at the bottom of the hymn that give you a little sense of its meaning or its origin. And if you notice this week, the very tune is called San Anselmo. And it's, the hymn was commissioned for the centennial celebration of the First Presbyterian Church in San Anselmo. What we're trying to do in this sermon series is articulate who we are as a Christian people, as a church. If you want another version of what it means to be church, this is a great him to, to earmark, or to dog ear, dog ear, dog earmark, to mark in your hymnals, and return to and read, because I think the text is beautiful, as is the tune, and it speaks to who we're trying to become as a people who follow Jesus. So I invite you to join together, standing or sitting or kneeling, if you'd like, 767.
So remembering that love is indeed the strength of our song, as you go from this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God who is Father and who is Mother of us all, in the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit, may it be with you this day and every day. Amen.